My friends, I want to bring on someone who has authored a book, uh, Robert Mueller, Aaron Boy for the New World Order. He's a friend of mine. John Milkovich, back when I was pastoring way down in the country. Uh, John Milkovich, uh, representative, uh, former representative of the state of great state of Louisiana, would come down uh, and, and, and here uh, to our service. And, and then we built a church. John was instrumental in helping us as far as um, uh, giving to that effort. We certainly appreciated that. But he has been a friend down through the years now. And uh, he's running locally for office in, in Louisiana, the Education Board. And I'm gonna, he's going to talk about that. But, John, I, I want to, uh, b- by the way, welcome you back to the C.L. Bryant Show. And uh, I thank you so much for your friendship. God bless you and God keep you in whatever endeavors you take on. But thank you so much for being here, friend. Welcome back. Well, I'm just so glad that you're doing so well. I'm glad that you're prospering, even as your soul prospers. That's that's what Jesus said. I'm I'm so happy for you, uh, Pastor. Thank you, John. John, let's talk about uh, before we talk about the Bessie Board in Louisiana. Uh, you have a national audience, and some things that have gone on that you wrote about, you warned about, even in your book, because this was actually a precursor to what actually took place back in November in that presidential election. Uh, all of this type thing may have actually been going on in a nefarious way, uh, without our, you know, being knowledgeable of it. But you saw something uh, when we saw Robert Mueller and all of the uh, type of fiasco that was uh, happening around his investigations. John, take us back to why you wrote the book, Robert Mueller, Aaron Boy for the New World Order. Talk to us about it. Well, I just in my research and studying current affairs, I just kept coming kept coming uh, across instances and episodes of federal corruption and cover-ups and wrongdoing in which Robert Mueller was integrally involved. And the bottom line, whether it was Pan Am 103, he covered up that bombing. He, innocent people got, an innocent man got convicted and the terrorists got away with it, whether it was uh, the the weapons of mass destruction. Robert Mueller was part of the lie that sent us to a, a war against a nation that did not have weapons of mass destruction, whether it was the massive 24-7 carpet bombing Governments for surveillance, which we have in America. Robert Mueller uh, was a cheerleader for the United States government spying on us, like they do in Red China, or, or whether it was the uh, the anthrax fiasco, where Robert Mueller was involved in the prosecution and really destruction of the life of at least one innocent person while letting the guilty people go. I mean, he was. Uh, oh, and I forgot Whitey Bulger. Um, Whitey Bulger committing a string of murders in Boston while he's protected by the Boston FBI and Department of Justice. And Robert Mueller was in on that reign, by the way. Uh, Whitey Bulger is now dead. He was murdered in his prison cell. And, and But this was the whole point. Robert Mueller was front and center in federal government cover-up after cover-up after cover-up after cover-up. And when I saw that he was appointed to lead the charge against President Trump, it it, it brought the obvious point to uh, to clarity, which is if Donald Trump's trying to do good and Robert Mueller is trying to take him out, Robert Mueller must be a bad guy. Or conversely, if Robert Mueller is involved in all this corruption and is a morally questionable person, the fact that he's going after Donald Trump, you know, raises the clear. Uh, 
conclusion that Donald Trump must be a good guy if, you know, Mueller's bad and he's after him. John, let me ask you this. Um, was then the objective, in your opinion, that they were trying to achieve by launching all of these falsities against the president at the incept- at the beginning of his presidency, did, did somehow, did somehow this plan actually come to fruition when we see now that there is a Joe Biden who sits in the Oval Office? Talk to us. Well, and listen, your point is so well taken. And I think what you're really getting at, which I totally agree with, and listen, there's a lot about the 2020 election that I don't understand. Uh, I, I certainly don't understand the result. I don't believe it. I don't buy it. I, I don't like Joe Biden. I could have you know, tolerated his presidency if he had actually gotten elected. I don't believe that he got elected. I don't believe that. I believe, you know, you've got thousands upon thousands of people that are doing research and coming forward, telling their story and say this was a rigged election. I believe that. But I think your your larger point is they were out to get Donald Trump out of the White House one way or the other. They tried Robert Mueller. That fizzle, that was a tremendous, embarrassing defeat for the globalists. But the point was they were going to do whatever it took. And listen, I'm, I don't think it's beyond the pale that President Trump's life was in danger, that, that there could have been plans to assassinate him if that would have been feasible or something they could have, they thought they could have, get, could have gotten away with. So, yeah, your point, I agree absolutely. Were they going to do whatever it took to get him out of the White House? And, you know, John, um, you know, John yes. when we think about uh, those types of measures and so forth, we also think about uh, what, where do we go from from here and and you and i have both uh, uh courted uh the black vote and we saw that black vote in, in back in um when obama was elected the first time and the second time and this is the thing that does not make sense to me and uh, if black people would actually think about it this is what they are wanting you to believe about joe biden they're wanting you to believe that joe biden actually got more black vote than Barack Obama. And friends, I am telling you, that didn't, that didn't happen. happen. That did not happen. It did not happen. And and, and, and so that's why, and, and the president being the businessman that he is, he knows that a certain more percentage of the black vote moved to his column and a right. certain more percentage of the Latino vote moved to his column with those percentages being a businessman, he knew those numbers had to be wrong. He yeah. knew that he, he could not have lost it. Yes. Yes. And listen, I, I don't know if you've had a chance to have uh, Sidney Powell or Lynn Wood on the show. Uh, I, I mean, I'm amazed at what they did as lawyers. Uh, I, you know, I don't feel like they failed the American people. I thought they, I feel like they fought. I mean, in retrospect, could have something, could things have been done differently? Oh, yeah. I mean, you can always. 2020 Monday Monday night quarterback or Tuesday morning quarterback. I guess we have Monday night football now. You can always Tuesday morning quarterback any legal strategy. The point is they fought. They put themselves on the line. They're still feeling uh, facing repercussions for standing up for the president. Uh, my, my concern is where was the judiciary? Where was the third constitutional branch of the republic? Where was you know the new young lady that ever got it. Uh, you know, uh, instilled yeah. on the Amy Amy Coney Barrett. What was Amy Amy yeah. Coney Barrett? Yeah, yeah, where was she? 
who is a who is a Louisiana girl, and boy, people were, and I was excited. I thought, wow, she's going to be a breath of fresh air. She's going to be courageous. She's going to take on some dry, you know. She's going to she's going to slay some dragons. And I'll be honest with you. And this, I did write a, a brief editorial, which was so obvious. I mean, um, any any bartender in America could have done as well as better. But I I just said simply this: Look, memo to Supreme Court. By the way, theft of a presidential election, theft of a presidential election, that does violate the Constitution. Amen. And folks, in case you don't know, in case I hadn't mentioned it, John is an an attorney extraordinaire, and I certainly do appreciate him. John, I want to move on and shift to a a topic here, education in America. I know that's something that is near and dear to your heart, and uh, you, of course, being uh, very well educated yourself, uh, a daughter who I know that you and uh, uh, Carolyn, uh, your wife, is uh, so uh, proud of uh, Harvard, I think I believe it's Harvard or you are Harvard or Yale. I can't remember, John. Well, she went to Harvard with her mother's brains. <laughs> and uh, but so listen, it- and the issues are not even unrelated. You know, we're talking about really the dis- potential, the assault on America. We're talking about the collapse of our culture. We're talking about the implosion of of our Western form of uh, Republican government and belief in in, in God. And that is related to education. You know, current studies show that 50 percent of young people think that socialism is favorable or that offers something of benefit or value. And and they're not seeing socialism as a slippery um, downward descent into communism. And and also our values are being rewritten, and and it's being done in the schools. Of course, Abraham Lincoln said that the the philosophy of the uh, classroom one generation becomes the philosophy of the government the next generation. We are the communists are trying to win this battle without firing a single shot, and they are beating our brains out in the classrooms of America. We have some leftists, some educrats, some bureaucrats, and. Uh, working side by side with some greedy special interests. By the way, does this sound like the ripoff of the, of the presidential election? Oh my goodness! It's just it, you have the same coalition of not people that believe in free enterprise, but monopoly capitalism slash communism with leftist viewpoints. They not only collaborated, in my view, in, in a potentially rigged presidential election, but. They have taken over, largely taken over, public education in Louisiana, and I, I believe to, the, the same is true in America. And so you're running for Bessie Board there in Louisiana, and uh, tell folks about uh, the educational board in Louisiana, what is needed to be done uh, and I know, folks, you know, Louisianians, uh, uh, we thank God for Mississippi, actually. And so, uh, and uh, John and I can laugh at that because we live here. We understand what we're talking about. But, uh, John, how bad is it educational-wise in Louisiana, and why are you running for the position? Well, this is the short story. In 2011, some uh, Louisiana big money, and combined with Michael Bloomberg money, bought a bunch of the Bessie Board races. That's the State Education Board. And since 2011 through the present, I believe they've bought every Bessie Board race with the exception of one Kathy Edmonston, our good friend. And what they've done by taking over the Bessie Board is they controlled the election or, the, excuse me, the appointment of a superintendent, John White, who came from uh, – did some work in New York City, was a protege of Michael Bloomberg and Arnie Duncan – Barack uh, President Obama's educations are. So we had a super warp speed uh, 
explosion or acceleration into crazy liberalism in Bible Belt, Louisiana. And of course, they call it Common Core. But it's been an, an assault on our values. They've given uh, grade school children texts that, that talk about cannibalism, carnage, murder, rape, mutilation, bayonetting of pregnant women, homosexuality, and extramarital affair. That's all that included in, in Department of Education approved texts that are given to students before they reach sixth grade. We're talking about one grades one to five get all that ridiculous stuff. And, of course, it's been noted by many analysts that the Common Core curriculum and agenda is one that moves toward uh, moves us towards atheism, abortion, abortion, socialism, and away from Christianity, away from patriotism. Uh, we've got Louisiana has the unsafest schools in America, according to some experts. And instead of instilling discipline, they're doing away with corporal punishment. And the Department of Education is actually punishing schools and teachers for disciplining students so we're going from dangerous to dangerouser if that's a word <laughs> very common core uh-huh. and, and and the department of education is providing no leadership we need safe schools we need to get our values back and then maybe something will happen with academic performance and as you've uh, alluded to louisiana's academic performance ranks typically between 46th through 50th in america yeah yeah, and that's the way it has been, and uh, I know that you are a transplant, but you love the state now, And I, but I was born here, and I can tell you, and I went to school, I was educated here, I can tell you, man, it is always, we have always languished in that situation. You brought up something, and I want you to stay with me through the break if you can, uh, yeah. John. You, uh, you uh, brought up something uh, that uh, most of us don't understand because, you know, of course, back when I was going to school and you were going to school, uh, things were uh, a little bit different as far as corporal punishment was concerned. Describe Describe to us why uh, there is such a, a push and an outrage against uh, corporal punishment in uh, our society today. And describe to us methods of corporal punishment uh, in the school system uh, now, if, if you would. Well, and I'm not an expert on it. I do know that they, they had paddling. You know, I mean, hey, that's not fun. But if it helps, if it and listen, you know, it can be it's not there to be abused, but if students are predators, if they're continually terrorizing other students, if they're may, if they're disrespecting or even assaulting teachers, yes, that does happen. We all know this. Well, look, I don't think some some corporal discipline uh, responsibly administered by one or two people at the school that you know are coaches or disciplinarians. I don't think that's. I think that's a good thing. And, and the crazy thing is it's not just removing corporal punishment. It's part of a larger agenda to make the kids in charge of the school. And that's really an inversion of the biblical template that God gave us. God says the children are answerable to the adults. The adults are the venerated ones. The people with gray hair or the people that are the adults that are raising, you know, making a living and raising, they're in charge. Not the six, seven, eight, twelve, fourteen, seventeen, nineteen-year-old students. Where does that idea find its genesis? John Milkovich is my special guest here today, uh, candidate for Louisiana Bessie Board. I think he'd be an excellent choice. Uh, this is the C.L. Bryant Mr. Show, and oh, I want to thank each and every one of I'm you for give, coming along with I'm us. I'm going to give you the bartender response. There's been a lot of leftists mm-hmm. that have done theory and books in education, and they've taken over. You know, John Dewey was one of them. Um, they've taken over education in America. And, and listen, the communists are all happy about that. They believe 
that America's current education system can be a key to communist China and the other communist forces overrunning America. And I mean, if that sounds extreme, well, look what's happening. Our academic performance is is ab- absolutely disintegrating. Our our values are being ripped out and shredded, and our our schools are dangerous. And this is a problem in Louisiana, but it's also a problem across America. It is a problem across America. John Milkovich is my special guest. Won't you stay right there, John? Don't go anywhere. Uh, we're going to come right back to him. There's much more that we need to discuss. Uh, the church is one of those things, and uh, the uh, influence or the lack thereof of uh, the church on our society. Where are our pastors in the midst of all of this? Is the tent uh, being folded? I should certainly preach against it not being uh, folded. It, I won't fold mine. I'm going to let my light shine. It's a little song uh, I have said uh, all of my life. Uh, everywhere I go, I'm going to let my light shine. But for us to be better, you have to let yours shine as well. In whatever dark place you might uh, find yourself in, you must let the light shine in and you must let yours beam out uh, as well. It does overcome the darkness. And this is a time in America where we must let light shine. I'm CL. This is CL Brian show we'll be right back in just a few minutes with more don't go anywhere you thought i was worth saving so you came and changed my life you thought i was worth keeping so you cleaned me up inside you thought i Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa, play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn. Turn to every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that... You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. Stand up for America. Then Americans, stand up, stand up, stand up. God bless you. God bless America. I do the best I can. Always lend a helping hand. And for the flag I stand. CL back with you on this awesome day. In the USA, and it's all because of people like you that make it that way. Still the greatest nation on the face of the planet, the greatest success story the world has ever known. That's America. And thank you so much for making this show as popular as it has become over Red State Talk, the largest talk platform. The Talk Monster is where how we're known. And, uh, of course, if you're traveling through Times Square, be sure to look up above the iconic Ripley's, uh, believe it or not, there is housed the giant uh, screen of Red State talking 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The C.L. Bryant show is, in fact, popping up there and looking back into a vastly empty 
uh, Times Square. I'm on my way to Florida. I'll be uh, headed down that way. I'll be in and out of Louisiana. I'm going to be involved in Louisiana, especially in these coming days, uh, because we got some interesting people who are looking to run for governor, and I'm going to be uh, in somebody's camp for sure. And uh, on the line with me is a good friend of mine. And even though Don John has always uh, been a, a Democrat, yeah, the man that has been talking to you is a Democrat. I have tried. I tried to get him to cross over. By the way, I'm I'm an independent as of September. As of September. See, he's headed my way because I did the same thing, John. I I went independent, and then all of a sudden, an R appeared in front of my name. But this is what I want to uh, talk to you about. This is what I want to talk to you about. Um, the church, John. Let's talk about the church here in this segment, um, final segment of this this um, hour. Uh, John, it, it, it seems in this COVID thing, there has been a, a, a season of convenience to not hear as loudly as we have heard the church's voice. Mm, come on, come on. How, how, how do we, John, let's talk to this now. How are we going to recoup that voice when you have a socialist climate in this country? I I think you just have to preach Jesus. You must continue to preach Jesus. But there are some pastors don't want to rail against the machine, John. They want to rail against it. Jesus railed against the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were the government and the religious stronghold of that day. He took them both on, got him crucified. But, John, I have a feeling that the thing that a lot of pastors are afraid of is that crucifixion. And they don't realize that without the crucifixion, there will not be a resurrection. Can't be. So, John, what, what's happening here? Uh, are we, are we milk toast pastors? Are we milk toast church? And are we breeding a milk toast Christian? Is that what's happening? Talk to us. Oh, my goodness. Listen, it's so ironic that you bring this up. Number one, you have a, a beautiful, really powerful, resonant radio voice. But number two, let's let's talk about how you got so smart. This may be part of the answer, but you're absolutely hammering on a critical, essential point, which you always do. And that is the church after the family is the most fundamental, most powerful cultural force in America. And uh, CL, of course, I live in Keithville, and I went to church several years ago. I I visited a a local African-American church, and visiting after church with some of the old-timers, they told me that back in the day when they were young, and this would have been back in the 30s, 40s, and of course, I'm sure stretching back into the uh, more recent uh, vestiges of the, or, you know, distant reaches of the past, they said, look, you know, you want to know what school was in our day? And I, I just let them talk. I had nothing. They said school, school was church, and they said every one of these black churches in in the woods, in rural Northwest Louisiana, in the woods, uh, next to the farms, next to the plant, they were the schools, and they said each church was its own school, and the school from that community. Excuse me, the church families in that community were ed- educated at that church. And I asked them, and, and it was amazing, uh, see, Pastor CL, because these individuals were so well spoken. And I asked him the hard question, and, you know, maybe I was pushing the envelope, but I said, you know, did integration improve 
or reduce the quality of education for black Americans in rural Northwest Louisiana. And I don't know that I got an answer that day, and but it, it just really made me think because in those days in the black churches, when they were at school, you know, there was discipline, you know, that there was highly trained, highly disciplined, highly educated instructors that were serious about the craft of teaching. And you know that they, that God was in everything they did. And you know that they were not laboring under idiotic bureaucratic rules from Baton Rouge or Washington DC. I said all that to say this. Look, the church, you're absolutely right, the church is fundamental. And they're trying to put out the light of the church. It's not going to happen. The more persecution arises, the the, the more brilliant will the, the the light of the church radiate. You know you're absolutely right, John. Um back then the teacher in the classroom before inter- before I'm talking before integration now because I, I was among that I was before that I was in that class of '68 here in Shreveport that uh, integrated the schools here and and before then and and John I'm, I'm just speaking from my own, own experience sure I knew that the black teacher that was in the black classroom that I came from wanted me to succeed. There was no question that that he or she was not playing about teaching me to be a good citizen. And as we used to say, John, a credit to our race. That was that was a, that was a, 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 a pretty much of a catchphrase in, in the black community. You want to be a credit to your race. But now yeah. to answer your question, did uh, education take on a different slant for for black kids, at least in, in my generation? When when we integrated, it did because you were now in a situation where you did not truly know if, in fact, uh, the teacher, whether they were white or black, cared about you or cared cared about the ideology of integration. And, and I did not get smarter sitting beside a white kid and they didn't get smarter sitting beside me. You know, I'm not saying that segregation was a good thing, but I'm just saying that black people seem to have been a better people, more self-sufficient, more educated and wanting to be more educated than before integration than we were after integration. The church was strong. The black church was stronger. The black family was stronger before integration. Oh my goodness! If, if, oh my goodness! Yeah, I mean, we, we, there's, there's all types of things. So, so I'm not saying that that's a evil. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying integration is a bad thing. I'm not saying that. I am just saying that there are some things that did happen that was not going on in the black community after integration occurred. Oh my! Well, and integration is a great thing, and and ultimately, the ultimate integration is when black whites and Asiatics and Native Americans and uh, people from all races come together at the foot of the cross. So integration is ultimately good because Jesus said he sent first to the Jews, but then to the Gentiles and the whole world. So yes, integration, We as Christians, we all believe in that. Yet, you're pointing something out that we need to stay mindful of, and that is, I think the forgotten sanctity, quality, and honor of education that was... Uh, presented and and lived and experienced in the rural black church schools and i you know you talk to the old timers 
and the thing that comes out is, you know, you just get the picture of these uh, black male and female teachers that were passionate about what they did, that were not going to play games, they were not going to tolerate foolishness, that they're going to be strict as any head football coach in their classrooms, and they were determined for those children to learn. And, of course, that was a day when, you know, honestly, children were more, were more humble, I believe. Uh, you know, and yeah. that's not a, a comment, yeah. that's generational yeah. yeah, humility. Listen, respect of authority for elders was, in fact, the order of the day. That was yeah. just simply, and, and that teacher in that classroom, then she, he, whoever they, whichever one it was, they commanded your respect. And, uh, you know, and, and, and so things have changed. Uh, times have changed, but I don't think we're as good a people. I'm talking about Americans in general, as we were uh, in times that may have uh, have gone by. If something is is going, something's leaving us. Something, and it, it's horrible when we think about the 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 gospel that has been just, uh, muffled in so many ways because we can't get out and 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 visit our our uh, parishioners in these last uh, year. The way that that we normally would, and they're afraid to come out. They're fr- they have made them afraid to go everywhere but Walmart and the gasoline station. The and the you know the, the, the people are afraid, John, yeah. and will probably always be in some way or another afraid. And the government is, I think, mm-hmm. is fundamental in in uh, pushing that narrative. Oh my goodness! Listen, I know you've produced what four movies now? Two, after? just two. You're on your way. Maybe one of them could be uh, documented oral histories of these old timers. Well, they're still here. They're lo- you know we're losing them every day. Yeah. But some of these African Americans in their uh, late seventies, eighties, nineties, talking to us and teaching us about the power of the black uh, church schools. And of course, Pelican in in your DeSoto Parish was a great. Uh, symbol and embodiment of that and it and Pelican at some point became integrated and uh you know i went down there i actually fought for pelican to get their own school back because when the school that community school was shut down it really to a large extent really really devastated that community and and going back to those meetings and you would see uh you know you would see 40 year old black men in tears talking about how much they love teachers that, you know, at that time at those meetings were maybe petite little 80 year old white ladies, but, but you know, it, yeah. it, it was, of course with Pelican all saints, you know, yeah. that, you know about the history of Pelican that I do, but it was just the power of God, power of community, power of family. And then of course we pull the plug on it and say, well, let's go into a, you know, a bigger, let's bus kids two or three hours a day. Let's go into a bigger, and, and listen, I'm not saying that people had evil motives, but, but Pelican got shut down. Yeah. And, and, uh, it was a, you know, a contested vote at the, at the, uh, at, at, before the Soto Parish school board, they shut it down and they started busing those kids two or three hours a day to yeah. a large government school. John, I want you, I need you to tell everybody how to get a hold of you. We're about to end this segment and begin a new hour here after the hard break. But tell everybody how to get a hold of you. You got about 30 seconds. If anybody out there wants to help us fight to get this, get on the State Education Board of Louisiana so we can make a difference in Louisiana and send a message across America, John Milkovich, 318 425 
1957. That's 318-425-1957. Give us a call. We'll hook you up. Pastor CL, you're the best. And this is one more movie you need to do. You know what, John? That's an excellent idea. We'll, I'll talk to you. We'll collaborate on that. And let's talk about that. Listen, God bless you. God keep you. Continue to fight the good fight. I know that you will because you are fighting the good fight. John Milkovich, God bless you. Talk to you soon. This is a good man, folks. Uh, look at him. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much.